Welcome to General Depravity. Treadwell was a guy who hung out with bears. Suicide bears? <laughs> no, he just hung out with the real bears. Oh! Oh, Grizzly Man. That guy. Yeah. Did you I see it? I haven't seen it, no. What was the one that Sean Penn did the movie commemorating him? He died in, like, the 90s. He did a similar thing. Uh, the, yeah, the Into the Wild guy. Yeah. No, because I saw, like, in this scene, uh, Werner is, um, he listens to the tape of the death while his girlfriend is looking at his face. <laughs> what the fuck? And then she starts crying, and he's like, you must never listen to this. Does this make you feel bad? <laughs> like, rubbing his thumb into it? That's, uh... He takes it a little far here. This is Timothy's camera. During the fatal attack, there was no time to remove the lens cap. Jewel Palavac allowed me to listen to the audio. I hear rain and I hear Amy, get away, get away, go away. All right, are you seeing this? This is a little ridiculous. Oh my god. She's fucking put the camera in her lap. She, there's no time to change the lens cap. She looks down at it and back at him like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts repeating some of the lines. Turn it off. Drew, you must never listen to this. I know, Werner. I'm never going to. And you must never look at the photos that I've seen at the coroner's office. I will never look at them. Yeah. They said it was bad. So. I'm now you know this why no one pretty, can hear it. This is something, all right. I think you you should not keep it. You should destroy it. Yeah. 
I think that's what you should do. Okay. Because it will be the white elephant in your room all your life. I think you should destroy it. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. Whatever. It's fucking... It's a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that might not be the best etiquette for that such that scenario. I don't know. But I saw a, a porn video that made me feel like that clip. Go on. And I and I and I saw it, and it, it just reminded me of what that is. And I want you to see it, and I want you to be Werner Herzog. It's gonna be no sound. I just want you to describe the horror. <laughs> you think you would want to do that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do in this? In this you just uh, click the link and you just tell me, like, cause this is the most depraved, depressing thing I've ever seen. It's up there. Do you and, want... and it's not, it's not even that shocking, like, visually. Yeah. It's just like, I've never seen this. And I, and I don't want to play the audio. I just want your reaction to the audio. <laughs> and I want, like, the listener to just <laughs> have to take it in, like in that scene. <laughs> wow, Werner. Wow, Wurzhog. He's, uh, wow. He's, uh, he really cares about making this woman cry. He's really... <laughs> He was really into going the extra mile to get those fucking tears out for his, uh, for his film. He really cares about that Academy Award for vitriolic, uninteresting, German-esque, pseudo-Scandinavian documentarian award of the year. I don't know. Good for him. He definitely set it up a certain way for a certain result. Yeah, seems that way. You know when she starts crying, but you can't tell if she's laughing? It's like that in-between, kind of. She's like, <laughs> right. like, none of the water works yet, you know? None of the none of the telltale sort of creases in the face indicating whether or not she's crying or, you know? No. I, I, I feel like that when I watch most of his stuff. So, I feel like her reaction is pretty paramount to my reaction whenever I decide to watch this guy's films. <laughs> I... I I don't know. My loved ones don't need to be eaten by bears for me to feel disparaged by Warner Herzog. Well, he's a he's an interesting cat in that he he'll stage things like he's done that before in previous documentaries. I don't know. I don't understand why he walks through this world trying to make everyone as miserable. He's the type of person if you were to see, he's like Nicholas Rife and Rain, the guy who did Drive. And if he saw, like, the, a puppy, he would hold it up and be like, this animal is based and corrupt, you know? <laughs> he's kind of just that dude. Uh, he sees nothing. Well, don't you, don't, don't you love his uh, refreshing cynicism when uh, he does that jungle speech? I never heard the jungle speech. Watch All right. Speech. Give me one second. <laughs> he does this, um... Do you know about his movie, Fitzcarraldo? No, I, honestly, I'm not really too familiar with this stuff. Well, basically, he he went over there and 
on and off for like four years. He was in the jungle in um, Iquitos, Peru, in the uh, Amazon River, mm-hmm. trying to film a movie. And in the movie, he wants to get a ship over a mountain. And instead of making it easy, he literally hires villagers in the 19, or in the, in the late 70s. He hires villagers and, you know, these indigenous natives to create a system, like a pulley system, to literally haul a ship over a mountain. You know, it's just like this very steep hill. Uh, and an example is like, um, they wanted to stop him from doing this. Like the guy who was originally orchestrating it quit because he said there's almost certainly going to be a chance of death. Right. And, uh, and then some of the, um, the natives to that area, they offered to like kill his main actor and, it's just a pretty insane story that he didn't just gut the ship and, you know, just do some, you know, theater of the mind uh, trick to get his point across. He's a method director. Yeah, yeah he he was, at least. <laughs> What's the last great film that killed someone? Apocalypse Now, where the guy got his head cut off? Uh, did that happen? That happened. What's his name? I forgot. It. He was, um... An actor from... Oh, I forgot his name. Wasn't he a Fonda? I'm not entirely sure. But he got his head cut off by a wearer helicopter blade that came... That wasn't... That wasn't Apocalypse Now. That was the X-Files movie, wasn't it? I'm completely displaying my fucking ignorance right now. But. Well, I remember there was the one where the helicopter crashes. And yeah. it cuts through two kids and a man. Yeah. And if oh. you could see vaguely their heads just, you know... Like dandelions. That was exactly what I was talking about. What film was that? That was either that was an apocalypse now. That was some sort of show. That was wasn't that X Files? That some sort of variant on X Files, some sort of maybe like a Twilight Zoney type of show. I think it was an X Files. Not entirely. No. no. Oh well. Well, tell me <laughs> what you think of uh, Herzog on the jungle. So you're playing right now? Yeah. Definitely seems definitely definitely a jungle. He'll give his thoughts soon enough. They're just setting up with like frogs and flies. Right. B-roll. And yeah. Strange bugs. <laughs> It's an unfinished country. It's still prehistorical. The only thing that is lacking is, is the dinosaurs here. It's like a curse weighing on an entire landscape. Oh, man. And whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that curse. So we are cursed with what we are doing here. It's a land that God, if he exists, has, has created in anger. It's the only land where, where creation is unfinished yet. Taking a close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. And we, in comparison to the... So what do you think? That's... 
that's he's a nihilist, isn't that? Isn't that his? He would be at your child's birthday party, and he'd be like, "But what? Wife, do we celebrate? Life is fragile. Successful viruses clinging to a speck of mud, suspended in endless nothing." And he'd be like, "Thank you. My child's crying. <laughs> Ruined his birthday." And he's a he's that just. You would you could show him something absolutely these types of people same with it's just nihilism you know that, cool. I think that type of postmodern philosophy is really dominant with these well maybe he's uh, just a really challenged man <laughs> incredibly challenged by success after success yeah sure. well he's one of the most interesting people I can think of he's up there I I, I do like his works. I do think he's, you know, sometimes you need, like, again, another filmmaker who's more modern, um, who I recognize to be really similar, uh, and their perspectives is, um, well, Reifen, I can never pronounce his name, the guy who did Bronson Valhalla Rising, uh, Nicholas Reifen Rain, the guy who did the pushing, pusher tripling. You think he's, here. uh, similar? Yeah, very much so. They're very, if you ever hear him talk about anything, he's one of the most, uh, emphatically morose people uh, around. And it's just very similar in this type of European artistic culture, I think, to people to be really um, fucking endlessly nihilistic. And, you know, these people are capable of producing really good art once in a while, but they're just... They're not someone you want to just... Uh, you, you know, I would never want to have dinner with Herzog, would you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> would you really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's singular in his, you know, pessimistic obsessions. I'm not sure. It seems like that's some a pathology. I don't think that's something that you could just get away from. I feel like you'd be bringing out the steak, and he would be looking at it, and he'd be comparing it to you, you know, and your life. <laughs> and he'd be like, you are all just steaks on the plate of the cosmos or something. Just fucking... You know, but he's also a guy who uh, he he thinks out loud and philosophizes out loud. You know, I don't necessarily think that he actually believes everything. I mean, he he ends this on a positive note. I'll play that part. When I say this, I say this all full of admiration for the Changi. It is not that I hate it. I love it. I love it very much. But I love it against my better judgment. There you go. Well, <laughs> he's just a fucking downer, you know? I like him. I like um, another filmmaker who's like him. Who's the guy who did... Uh, I'm fucking drawing a blank tonight. Uh, the guy who did... Um, Aaron Aronofsky. Yeah. Guy, yeah, very similar if you hear him talk for a handful of minutes about any subject. These people produce... The type of art that they produce makes you feel terrible about the world that you live in. Sometimes that's necessary, right? Sometimes they need to hold that fucking mirror up to everyone. But yeah, another end, it's just like, dude, give it a fucking break. I already hate myself. I already hate, you know, this, you know what's dead? Romanticism is completely dead as an art form. And it's been dominated <laughs> by this type of fucking self-loathing. Well, uh, not- Hating yourself to the core of the atom type of fucking art. That's been, and what happened to all the Moliere's and like Victor Hugo's and those individuals who can display, uh, how dark humanity can be, but it can also like, who can also spin this beautiful web about, uh, 
the human beauty. You don't see this in their art necessarily. I don't think they see it in themselves. Well, on that note, I'm going to send you this video now. And uh, please don't say the title of the video. <laughs> oh, man. I like I, her headset. Uh, yeah, I just want to hear your reaction. Oh, my God. Oh my god. You must destroy this. Well, that was something. Oh my god. <laughs> you saw the whole thing? I got I got through most of it when she was singing when she was doing her cheer about how tired oh, she is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Would you recommend that be destroyed? Um, I think Herzog should do a film about this. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is his wheelhouse. I think <laughs> I think I think he's I think him and his elk have created this generation, man. Honestly. Well, you know I've seen this kind of stuff. Um, against men. Out of curiosity, is this what it takes to get you off? I mean, I'm I'm not normally into this, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Under a scale of metrics, I give her an eight. I don't like, know. I, I like the honesty involved. <laughs> you yeah. know, I gotta appreciate that. I like the fact that she doesn't clean her room all that much. It seems that there's like an antique sewing machine back there. There's. She looks post-pregnant. She she has at least a couple of kids, probably. Uh, man, I don't. Uh, uh, it's all like, I don't. I don't even know what the fuck is going on anymore. You know, honestly, there was a time period where if someone had. Um, a sexual deviancy of whatever kind, and obviously that fucking term is 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 a misnomer itself. But if they had an unusual sexual appetite, they either unfortunately killed themselves because of their feelings of ostracization, or they would just get into it full fucking body, unapologetically. Create a create a mailing list right back in the seventies, whatever else. Move to I mean, move to fucking, you know, to, to be around like-minded people. Now we're in a society where... Yeah, yeah. Through the yeah, internet. Like yeah, back everyone, then, everyone has an outlet for their sexual pathology and that's a good thing to a certain extent, but but we also have that sort of identity politic movement on the other end of it. It's kind of validating psychopathology. You know what I mean? And I don't know. But back in the day, didn't you have to... You had to really work for it, you know? You really if, did. If you, you had, had these... You, Inclinations. You had to join a mailing list, right? Yeah. You had to move to San Francisco from Sheboygan, right? right? You had to disavow your family. You had to, you, you know, you had to dress differently so people would know when you're walking by that you're into that thing. You had to, you, right? you, had, you had to, to become Ted Bundy, you know? That's, <laughs> you <had> to, <laughs> like he had, he probably had no outlet. 
Right. And then you have these weird stories, like, one of the more deranged ones is the, uh, the cannibal cop. Are you familiar with him? I remember that, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember hearing about that, yeah. Like, that's the kind of fantasy that, I don't, I don't even know I'm okay with people having that as a fantasy. There's a difference between fantasy and reality, and I think, uh, to, if you're a rational human being, you can differentiate those two things. Well, I'm so just, if you, but, if, if, if you have a, if you have a fantastical fetish, right, that's completely irrational, um, you might have a histrionic personality disorder of some kind, right? And you might... See, that's, that's the fucking shit end of it, because while there are really va- like valid fucking um, sexual preferences that people can have, and them not necessarily being pathological, I think that well, you've seen the whole headmates thing, right? I don't think so. This is like a Tumblrism that is, uh, there's a bunch of bored 15, 14 year olds on Tumblr or whatever else, um, talking about their headmates. A headmate is someone who lives in your head. Um, here, let me, <laughs> give me here, um, uh, yeah, so. It's it's basically they're talking about schizophrenia, but they're talking about it in such a way that makes it seem like it's not a bad thing at all. And, and if you think that's, that schizophrenia is a problem, then you need to grow up, you know, because uh, you need to you need to understand. Let me get you this. Okay, so that little voice, you know, in your head, uh, they're trying to legitimize it. Yeah, as but a separate it's entity. not. It's not even necessarily. Here, let me try to find you a couple. Here, read this real quick. Sure. Wait, it's it's a reading, or do you want to just do you want me to read it out loud? Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm pulling up. Though I'm just giving you examples from Tumblr uh, and whatever else. But the same similar thing. You have people who I don't necessarily think a lot of these people who are called. I think that a lot of them are just bored, and they're talking about pulp. Like, uh, pop fiction icons living in their head. Like, well, Iron Man and Loki are in my head and they don't get along. Should I, like, kick them? So I don't, I don't think necessarily that they are schizophrenic or paranoid schizophrenics. I think that they just see these things as a validation to, uh. Yeah, see, I think this is a problem when you try to, um, when you try to downplay sexuality. And, like, if you notice any modern movie with, like, a $200 million budget, it's removed of any sort of sexuality or, you know, whatever, for the most part. Because it's catering to the lowest common denominator. But that's probably something that's inspiring, these sorts of weird, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, deformations in people. Uh, I think people fetishize being victims in such a way that is really... That is that goes beyond just someone's desire to be dominated and become something that is pathological. Like when you're looking at that video that you sent me, or examples of of these types of people. I think that that sort of um, victim seeking, a uh, uh, victimization seeking sort of behavior, is something that's kind of paramount in American society today. It, and I don't know what it's not necessarily that. unhealthy though. No, I mean, not, not, I mean, there's there's a spectrum, isn't there? I mean, there's there's some, 
if you're a person who wants to be sexually dominated and you're really into being a sub, that's fine. I don't think that's pathological necessarily. Uh, if you're someone who would prefer to be autistic, just so you can tell people that you're disabled, because having a reason to call yourself a victim is very important to you, then I don't think that that's healthy. Right. That's And there are people, there's a lot of, and especially with the fucking, the younger generation today. Oh, dude, there's, it is a night and day difference between when we were fucking kids and the kids today, man. The climate, the, the social climate is just night and day. Um, there is, there is that whole, I, I, I think that there is a victim-seeking behavior in a lot of these kids. I think that it validates, and, and especially if you are a, a type of, a person with narcissistic tendencies, you want to have any sort of, any, any edification that you have that can sort of put responsibility off of yourself. If you're a victim of, of, of oppression, of societal judgment, of ostracization, and everything else, and suddenly your own decisions become minuscule to that which society has placed upon you, you know? So you think it's bridging out from fantasy into reality where they're playing out their fantasy in like a real-life scenario by victimizing themselves and presenting themselves as crippled in some sort of way, kind of hoping that it plays out in their favor and they get to experience sexual satisfaction in that way? I think it's a lot of... I think it's a lot easier for someone to... Uh, I think if people can go through life um, with a lot less anxiety if they feel like um, they're forgiven for their, their inadequacies, not because of their lack of effort or their lack of talent, but because they are categorically different than other people. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't fail because I'm bad. I didn't, I didn't fail because I'm lazy and I didn't work hard enough. I failed because... I was born this way. Exactly. And I think a lot of elements in society are incredibly narcissistic and they validate this type of fucking, this type of behavior. And I think that, uh, in terms of sexuality, uh, these types of things can pop up as permeations of, uh, of, of pathology. And so, I mean, while being, while preferring to be dominated and being submissive isn't necessarily in itself pathological. I think that if you are a pathological, like, um, um, masochistic type of person, then, then you're probably have a proclivity towards that type of behavior anyway. So you're saying people can't deal with the truth? No, they can't. (laughs) They can't. They have have the capability. Let me me describe this mind made or whatever you sent. Go for it. Species dragon kin. Sexuality, demisexual, queer. Disabilities, OCD, depression, ADHD. Uh, she describes her uh, body type. She's interested in ponies, magical stuff, Game of Thrones. All right. And uh, she has her triggers. Which, um, you know, these seems like pretty standard things that you could possibly be triggered by. Yeah. Rape, yeah. Uh, shaving... Shaving, yeah. Uh, hair, yeah. Cu- hair cutting in any way. Yeah. Uh, any type of shaming. Yeah. Yeah. Racism yeah. is not a trigger for me, even though I am white. 
<laughs> I did not have did, although one of my headmates does, so I am sensitive to it. Ah, now they're describing their headmates. Headmates, Shane, age 24, gender sex, DMAB, male identifying as femme androgynous. Species, vampire. Ah, uh, but aren't they all? But aren't they all? Uh, <laughs> disabilities, depression. It's interesting that their headmates have a bevy of different disabilities than the individuals who's hosting them. I don't know if there's a scientific reason for that. They but. have this whole Tyler Durden in their head. Yeah. Is Chuck Palahniuk really to blame for all of this? I would like to think so. I've been wanting more reasons to dislike him. Wait, wait. His brand of pop literature. She has two people in her head, and there are three? Uh, three. Three. Uh, their names are Shane, Sakura, and Trevor. <laughs> oh, it's like GTA 5. Right, it's GTA 5. <laughs> All over again. Trevor's disability is missing one arm. <laughs> Dude, I, I had no idea about this. <laughs> this is very, this is foreign to me. I thought, I thought I knew oh, everything. Oh, God. Like, you thought I, you knew everything about yeah. the internet, didn't you? You thought you knew all <laughs> the Like, I've you seen, know, you know. This like, I've seen the people who, um, they, they want to be tiny and then they want to be stepped on by a woman. Like, I, I thought that was strange. But this seems like, uh, like top of the line here. Yeah, this is really next level. Uh, and this isn't just one no, this is isolated a, incident. This is several thousand isolated incidents. This is a subculture, yeah. I, I bet. Yeah, this is a subculture now. But, but maybe it's very small, you know? Like, how big could it realistically be, people who have headmates? Um, it's not the fact that it's just headmates. It's just headmates on top of the trans, uh, the trans ableists on top of, you've heard about that, right? Uh, not exactly. Hey, let me get you that next. That's interesting, too. But you have, like, furries, for example. That's a little different, though. And, and talking about uh, a subculture that's strictly sort of uh, masochistic. Although, we can say that from the outside, it seems like you'd have to be a masochist to subject yourself to that type of social ostracization. But I'd say here, let me... Well, I would say furries seem stable compared to whatever this is. I would say so, too. It is not a world that we live in. Um... Good for them, though. Good for furries for getting a footing <laughs> above anyone else in this world. But, well, see, once but, you have furry acceptance, you're just opening the way for more of these. I don't understand of- it. I heard they all like they have conventions, and and this might and this might come across as incredibly ignorant. So, if there's a furry out there in the audience who wants to correct us, by all means. But I heard that there's conventions where uh, something is called yiffing. Where they hang out in the hotel rooms and they pee on the carpet and they scratch and sniff it afterwards, and they kind of howl at one another madly into the into the dark at night. See, and then they a lot of urine, a lot of peeing into like into peeing into receptacles that aren't necessarily meant for urine, like dishes, like like plates or carpets and stuff. That's cool. 
You know, the only problem I really have with that is the fact that they are, you know, messing around with other people's private property. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to piss in your own carpet at home, you know, file Yeah, means. you know, and disclose that if you ever sell the house. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't take it to a, a, a daylight inn, you know, in Daytona. Okay, this Good. is <laughs> uh, transableism. And uh, what am I to glean from this? Uh, there's a lot of people who identify as transable, meaning that they, even though they're able-bodied, they they identify as disabled. So they a lot of, not a lot of people, not like this is an epidemic, but some people engage in self-mutilation to connect themselves to their, uh, their feeling. No, their disabled identity. You know what I mean? Like, well, I identify as um, someone who doesn't have it. There's a there's an uh, example in another article of someone who cut their hand off because they wanted to be identified as one hand Rick or something of the sort. Huh. Yeah. And this is the fucking scary, like masochistic, like extremity of the modern identity politics. And whatnot. And the similarities between Werner Herzog making that poor lady cry, you know, that fat shaming lady, all of this, there's that sort of, there's a, there's a, there's a really thread. weird sadomasochistic streak that exists within our culture right now that isn't necessarily being validated. Or it isn't necessarily being talked about, but is being validated by identity politics. Well, Herzog seems like a great person compared <laughs> to this stuff. Yeah, not really. Uh, he desires to be a T12 complete paraplegic, with complete loss of feelings in his lower limbs, continence, and sexual functions. Yeah. yeah I think that's m- much... I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> so he just wants to be able to shit his pants and not have to get aroused at things? I think so. You know, when I was young... <laughs> I fancied myself like I was going to be a director. Right. And, uh, you know, I was writing all these ideas down, you know, watching movies, listening to commentary scripts. I'm like, yeah, man, I want to be revolutionary. And then I'm like, when I'm 70, I'll probably have poor eyesight, so I'm going to remove one of my eyes and place a camera in there and do this, like, uh, this, like improvisational film. And people aren't going to realize they're in a film, so it would be real. But see, what I didn't know then was that technology moves a lot faster than my deluded ideas. But I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be almost dead by then. Well, you know, why not give up one eye, you know, like Van Gogh gave up his ear for the sake of, you know. Like, I think he just did it for art, really. Just for the story. Right. So it would be similar. They like say a, he, they say now that Van Gogh suffered from a type of epilepsy. I don't think that made him saw off his ear. But still, when Van Gogh cut off his ear, there wasn't a, a faction surrounding him saying, that, no, that's okay. You know, that you should be doing that. That's a good thing to do. That's, you know? that's I mean, brave. I mean, society at the time rather considered self-mutilation to be a bad thing. You know? 
Yeah, and so we have that and uh, this. So someone really cut their arm off. I think that it happened, yeah. It's not like all the kids are running out and fucking cutting off their limbs to be fucking transable. It's just, it's, it's, it's in combination, in combination with all the other fucking things, you notice a trend. Whether it's not, it doesn't appeal to everyone because everyone's not, everyone doesn't have a personality disorder is what it comes to. And if you have a personality disorder, you're probably susceptible to these type of things, you know? Well, what do you think yeah. of my, my, my youth fantasy of uh, removing my eye when I'm, say, 80? Just so I could put a little tiny camera in there and, like, do documentaries. Right. Is that crazy, or is that like, well, I'm 80 and I'm going to start doing heroin now because, you know, fuck it. Does, does, does that make any sense, or am I on the level, or at least was back then? When I had uh, that idea. You know what? If you're at the end of your life and whatever... Uh, if you're if you're a young man and you're completely fully abled and you're fucking chopping off your limbs for the sake of your art... I guess, you know, there's a difference between chopping off your limbs for the sake of your art and chopping off your limbs for the sake of your identity. I suppose, at the end of the day. If it's right... It comes down to utility... Like, if you're getting something out of it, then fucking, you know, by all means, lob off what you have to. If it, if it makes you more efficient at doing what you have to do, at the end of the day, if it's rational, if it's, if it's somewhat rational, if it can be, if it can be rationalized, nevertheless, regardless if it's rational, then maybe there's some merit to it. You know, what, what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop you at that point, but like, you know, if it comes to, if you just really, really don't want that eye anymore and you're like, you know, maybe I'm better off without it. Then. But these people, uh, what do you think people who actually suffer from these conditions th would think of these people? That's the thing, right? Now, if you're an actual schizophrenic, uh, my uncle was a paranoid schizophrenic and uh, it was it ruined his life, you know, for the most part. And that's the danger of this. Like, if you're if you're an actual schizophrenic person, um, also if you're if I think uh, it's been a while since I looked at this, this, but I'm pretty sure if you are diagnosed with schizophrenia, people who are schizophrenic have a thirty to fifty percent chance of killing themselves. It's a serious fucking condition, you know. These pe people have to live with a lot of shit. And I think if you are dealing with this and you go to a tumbler and you're saying like I and there's someone in my head who's constantly insulting me and berating me and telling me I can't get away from this. It's driving me absolutely insane. I can't handle it anymore. And then the danger of this is someone coming out. If you're 14 years old and realizing that you might be schizophrenic, the last thing you want is someone to come out of the fucking woodwork and say, no, that's, that's okay. You're not looking at this the right way. Maybe you should be proud of your condition. No, we all have... We all have, you know, disabilities, and we're just fine. So maybe you should just, like, you know, make peace with your headmates, you know, instead of actually acknowledging that there's a sort of psychological issue that needs to be medicated away so you don't kill yourself, you know? That's or just, what if you were one of these people who got their legs blown off in war, right? And uh, then you read about people who are having these der deranged fantasies about being them. Yeah, like, I guess, I guess he, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? 
you gotta feel pretty, you know, like downtrodden at society when you when you live through that horrible existence and people are so uh different in the head that they wanna like emulate that. Yeah. I don't know. It's um we're, we're, there is a there is a mental illness problem in this country that we're not addressing directly, and I'm a very much a fan of psychotropic medication. I think it's wonderful when it's applied correctly, but the misapplication of it and the misuse of the same sort of of psychotherapy and psychotropic medications can be fucking disastrous to someone who has the sort of brain chemistry that reacts inversely to the types of treatments that this are sometimes being put into. And what, what kind of uh, drugs are you talking about? It depends. On, so if you suffer from depression and you have um, uh, a hormone, uh, if, if you have, if your brain is incapable, and this is an oversimplification, I'm not a neural anatomist by any means, but if your brain is incapable of producing dopamine or serotonin to the point where you can't have mental, res- like, to, you don't create mental reserve whatsoever, so you're constantly in the state of perpetual emotional instability, then you probably would need some type of antidepressant that sort of, cre- that, so that your brain produces dopamine, uh, serotonin, and all the other sort of chemicals that when balanced correctly sort of have enable someone for being emotionally stable without sort of the irrational propensity towards self-loathing or um, despondentude or anything else. The type of, this type of, or, you know, anti, uh, anti-obsessive medications or anti-schizophrenic, uh, I don't remember the actual classification for it, but if you're schizophrenic, psychotropic medication is very fucking helpful to you, you know, if you're actually schizophrenic and not just... Um, a tumblerina claiming that you have a fucking headmate, but um, so that's. But isn't good. that in the end a mental disorder? If they are delusional to that degree, don't they yeah. have a legitimate problem in some other facet or some other area? I agree. I think that that is the case, and it probably and it's even, is. It's even trickier, and it's probably tricky to draw a line between what sort of social factors you could contribute to fixing that problem. Yeah, exactly. And this is the whole thing. Uh, and that whole... Uh, they've been debating the whole nature versus nurture thing for fucking centuries, and it's only been in the past 15-20 years of cognitive neuroscience giving us a very basic understanding that it's neither of those two things. It's both of them working in a concurrent sort of relationship. I mean, you're trying to place how much of it is society, how much of it is biologically innate. It's very difficult to do uh, from the outside, just looking in. Uh, It's very much sort of a chicken and egg relationship. Uh, so that whole dichotomy that we draw between those two things is kind of false. It's, it's both things working together. Epigenetics is a good example of that. You can have a genetic quality that doesn't, uh, activate until a certain environmental catalyst sort of triggers it. No pun intended. So, I mean, those are, th- I mean, so someone who is, um, someone who wants to be mutilated probably has a mental disorder. Absolutely. And they should, be we should be sympathetic to those people as a society, and I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever. But I do think 
at, at the same time that there is a branch of fucking of political of I get I get to, to, I think, I'm just gonna repeat myself. But can I just I, I, like I, say I think that everyone is part of the problem potentially, and when you spread ideas like this, it's hurting these people who have yeah, a propensity when they are reinforced by their environment that yeah. it's okay or something like that. It's the thing when you have um, this modern branch of identity politics that validates mental illness is not as necessarily something that exists. Something that we all need that a lot of people have the majority fifty percent of this country is diagnosed with some sort of mental disability or another. Uh, we all need to constantly enact self improvement. We all need to be introspective and understand that we all have issues that we need to work through. But to have a branch, to have a political movement. That pushes not for acceptance, not for tolerance of these individuals, but acceptance uh, and, and reveling in, in the very destructive aspects of their psychopathology. That's a very fucking negative thing. And especially when you tie into all of this, that sort of narcissistic social desire to want to be a victim, to want to be absolved of your own personal responsibility from your life. To to be unanswerable for your own decisions because you're not in control of them. You're not. You're you're a victim. You're not. You have no agency over your life whatsoever. Yeah, that I think whole it's thing, a very attractive thing. Yeah, that whole uh, thing doesn't really make any sense to me because it's like you could either say, "I'm gonna be," you know, "I'm out of control of this," or you can just be like. There, it makes no sense to have that sort of attitude because the only thing I could possibly do is try to influence future change in behavior. Yeah, and all of it comes down to it. At the, I mean, the whole dynamic that's constantly brought up time and time and again and again in tandem with the whole identity politics thing is power. If you feel like, if you can validate, or if you can demonstrate some way that you have no power over your own life, no capability. You're not an agent whatsoever. You're constantly caught up. You're, you're kind of pinwheeling between one societal catalyst to the next. You know, it's not. It's not me. I'm so and so. I'm not responsible for this. I'm. Yeah. I'm autistic. I'm disabled, and therefore, you know. So, I don't know. I think that these are attributes of it, and it's 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 if, if not. It's what... never just one thing, is it? It's all of these things yeah. exist today. If that's because, what people need, though, to get through the day, you know, at some point you got to, I guess, accept that, but you don't have to uh, necessarily promote it, yeah, which I think is kind of happening. You can't expect a rational conversation or a rational discussion with people who are incapable of thinking or acting rationally at the end of the day. Well, so. it, it sort of promotes a everyone is perfect sort of idea, which yeah. I don't really agree with. This is the extremities of like relativism, right? When there's there is no ob- there, I mean there is no objective truth. There is nothing that's objectively, demonstrably good or bad. You know, we're all we're all the same. There is no, and it's it's no. I mean, and this is like the sort of this is the difference between the equ- this is a dangerous conflation. It's a conflation between equality and equity. You know the types of it's there's a big difference between equality and parity, you know, like uh, having all of these people trying to sort of demonstrate how um, how 
their problems aren't necessarily problems and they're things that should be celebrated doesn't necessarily just because you can acknowledge that you have a psycho psychological issue that is objectively bad doesn't necessarily doesn't remove the your value as a human being or an individual you don't have to if i if if i have a, a psychosis that makes me psychotically violent right it, sure. it's it's demonstrably bad if i have a, a psychosis that is that makes me self-destructive that is objectively bad because the consequence is to no edification to my life whatsoever this isn't and to recognize this that we all have flaws about us doesn't necessarily mean that we're not all equal under the eyes of the law or as um a basic worth as human life is concerned you know well it should be that uh people get the same like fair fairness the same treatment but not necessarily that's not dependent on their actions because if you are doing shitty things then you shouldn't be treated equal yeah it's the danger of cultural relativism and this is uh, that the extent of cultural like the way that people are so fundamental about that concept today is really fucking strikes me as really damaging look at how feminists react to um uh, a theocratic Islamo-fascist Islam. Uh, not to say that if you are a Muslim that you are Islamo-fascist. That's not true even remotely. But there are theocratic states that are really patriarchal, and there are a lot of feminists who think that by saying this that they're being Islamophobic. Uh, and there's a lot of big contingent of feminists who think that um, we have a greater gender inequality problem in this country than they do in Syria or that they do in Saudi Arabia or um, Iran or Iraq. Uh, and if you really believe that, then I think you someone is deluding themselves to believe that... Ah, God. Well, we... Well, yeah, I think we have a lot of issues as far as gender in this country that pale in comparison, obviously, to the rest of the world. Yeah. But uh, that that's a whole, you know, hour discussion. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it, it ties into the whole uh, concept, again, of sort of cultural relativism because of your... If, if that, that's that whole middling sort of uh, position and where there is nothing that's demonstrably bad across cultures that a culture cannot be uh, a, a value that a culture holds cannot be objectively bad by any standards because it's not your culture so you have no raps you have no authority to judge it from any base base structure or semblance of criteria you know and that's a ridiculous fucking position to hold I think that values I don't think that morality is objective, but I think that consequences are. Uh, and sort of uh, talking about sort of ethics, uh, I think that you can and should be able to look at something and saying, and if the consequence at the end results in the destruction of self or destruction of others, that you can say that this, we have to draw a line to the sand, we have to have standards. Um, a criteria that a certain a certain uh, a barometer 
So you're right, disagreeing with the notion that uh, tradition is inherently evil? Um, the that any it's sort of stability is the enemy of, like, free <laughs> spirit? It's contextual, right? Not every tradition. Uh, it's a tradition in most societies to protect children. That's not something that's bad whatsoever. And yeah, that's why think... we can say that there are some standards of objectivity. Uh, there are some standards of ethics that are objective across cultures. If not, then human humans wouldn't have been able to survive whatsoever, right? The fact that we don't murder one another indiscriminately, the fact that we do protect children, uh, if if no culture had engaged in this type of behavior, um, then hum, you know humanity would have never survived whatsoever. Yeah, so, and I, I think with that, we're uh, just describing the extreme fantastical liberal view, which. You know, people have one idea in their head that, you know, freedom to do whatever you want. And then it's, that doesn't really work when you're interacting with other life forms that are, you know, trying to get on and live their life. Well, it's within reason. I think because, it, and that, the whole classical liberalism thing, the whole idea of freedom. And it's like, and it, it ties into the whole idea of like rights conflation of, in, in, in that traditionally the idea of freedom meant up to a certain point, you have the freedom to do whatever you want with your life so long as it doesn't violate the, the freedoms of other individuals around you. And that becomes to the point where it's like, don't walk on this field of grass with your soccer cleats on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's literally a thing, but I think that's something that I guess you got to accept because everyone wants, everyone has their own certain idea of their, you know, perfect vision, and if we live in, say, a democracy, and 51% of people agree with something, and you're part of a democracy, then you kind of got to go along with it. Well, there, was a, there was a difference between democracy and mob rule, at least in how people sort of conceptualize the, the differences, well, right? So, like, if you, if uh, an unfettered mob rule kind of democracy is, and to borrow a very old expression, two wolves and a sheep deciding on what they have for dinner... You know, like yeah. I don't, I don't consider that necessarily a fair system. But is that not that... democracy at its core? Um, well, it depends on one's definition of rights, and again, that that's where you you enter a sort of gray area when you talk about this sort of rights conflation because there is, there are tremendous nuances to it. There are some libertarians out there who believe that, like, uh, it's it's. Fa it's fascistic for a government to say that you can't drink and drive because, you know, it's my body, it's my car, I have the right to... But you don't have the right necessarily to put someone at a tremendous amount of risk, right? It's, it's like firing a loaded gun through a wall. I don't know if I brought this up before, if I'm repeating myself at this point. But no, uh, so, there, so there are there are ways that we can recognize like that whole... You are, you are violating someone else's rights when you put them at a tremendous amount of risk that you can't necessarily control, right? Well, it's also, um, why is it a right that you can just get on and, you know, operate heavy machinery? It's not necessarily a right, right? It's a, it's a privilege, right? That's, I mean, that's it's, what they it's, call it. And I, and I kind of agree with that because, you know, that's the way it works. That's the way people have agreed upon that it's the most safe approach. That's realistic to follow through on. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of gray area, and I think all these things have to be uh, 
just ruled by some sort of pragmatic, rational approach of this is violate people or does it not violate people? To yeah. a certain extent. You know? But ultimately, it is mob rule, though, right? It is now. I, maybe it always was to a certain extent, and we just sort of pine for uh, a yarn yesteryear that never really existed beyond our own. I mean, as, as, as soon as um, the whole American experiment began, we had sedition laws, we had conduct laws, we had all the sort of Victorian uh, etiquette trappings that existed in the same place, the puritanical place that people had escaped from. But not everyone was agreeing with this, correct? No. So, no, especially was, amongst, especially amongst the, uh, the paleo conservative libertarian types who, and I'm, I'm someone who identifies with libertarian, but I don't necessarily, I think th- they have a fundamentalist sort of approach when they talk about rights, uh, being objective as an existing tangibly, you know? Yeah, it's, like, I don't really take any of it seriously. I just take bits and pieces and try to put it together into what I believe. I don't think the classical liberals even um, had ever meant that that these t- things were objectively tangible. You know, um, the consequence of the... I mean, rights... Your rights are granted to you from your government to protect you from the ill-begotten will of other individuals or governments for that, for, to that extremity, you know? Your right... Is a is a um, your rights are constructed of uh, social systems that are put in place to protect you from other human beings, not necessarily from gravity, not from nature, not from yourself. Traditionally, in the in the classical liberal uh, the, the classical liberal standard, all these things existed for the sake of protecting you from other people. All right, I just want to explain, like, my presidential bid. <laughs> like, do you think I could make it? I think you can. I think you got it. All right, I want to, like, run under, like, a, you know, a totalitarian um, platform. You'll fit, in, you'll fit right in. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. I'll just be really upfront about it. And I think I- that, I think that there are some fundamental things that exist that people pretend don't. Like... I mean, we could talk about this a lot, but I think at the ultimate, you know, end of the day thing, there isn't just anarchy is just the baseline undercurrent of everything. Because people can do whatever they want. It's just a matter of what they can get away with. <laughs> what they'll be penalized for. Yeah, like there's, it's not like, you know, a stop sign is really stopping anything. <laughs> it's just your decision to not crash. Yeah. Or if you want to, you know, chase after another car or whatever you're doing. Most people act within these limits of reason, though. I would like to think the majority of people practice some sort of rational self-interest. Yeah. They they stop because they're not doing so to obey the law. At the They're stopping at a stop sign because they don't want to be punished and they don't want to die. Yeah, you know, it's, as it's, a, a, it's a nuisance to go to court or die. Yeah, it's very much a nuisance to die. Um... But there yeah. is something run, run, positive. Run totalitarian. There's nothing going to stop you. There's something positive to say about the uh, Genghis Khan approach to things. Like, what do you think would have happened if he hadn't have come along? Genghis? Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the, uh, 
Like he he united like all of Asia. Yeah, he did. He he, did. he had to do some terrible things to make this happen. He was no Attila, though. You know, he didn't have his Rome. You know. But how how fucked up was were things if he was like a great leader before him? You know, <laughs> things had to be pretty bad, right? You would think so. Yeah. Then how did he? How did he? Uh, you ever see that? Well, they did a film about him recently, and they had some really weird sex scene in it, where they're all just like dirty and covered in fucking mud and furs and stuff, and you can kind of see the dingleberries just hanging out of his like goat hair ass, and it's really uncomfortable. Oh, that was that a popular movie? Yeah, they really have to shoehorn. If you really have to shoehorn a sex scene in with Genghis Khan, I think there's there was um there was a uh, Marco Polo movie about Kublai Khan. Uh, not for movie, uh, it was a series on Netflix. It might have been on a show too before that, but it was, uh, brought to Netflix. It was alright. It was well, okay. This guy, like, uh, if, if you were caught stealing, like, first they might take your hand, and then they would just kill you. Or they would just kill you the first time you were caught stealing. So. I think that all of these things, if you actually look at these old laws and stuff, they seem really barbaric now, but like, uh, and they, and they are by any objective standards, but a lot of this I think is a reflection of the time period that they are living in, right? If you lived in a small village in uh, feudal times in Europe, um, there is a good there is a good chance that you are all gonna fucking freeze and starve to death that that winter, you know? Yeah. That was really so. If you if you were stealing, you were putting everyone at risk around you of dying, you know, to some extent. I think the punishment. Uh, match the severity of the consequences of someone's actions. It's not that they just cut your hand off or killed you because, you know, because they were fucking, you know, they're, they're just wearing Joker, why so serious shirts and they're all fucking, you know, super edgy or whatever else or it was just the extremity of the fucking situ, uh, of the time period that they were living in. This is how human beings live throughout the most of human history. I think Kublik, I think Kublai Khan and, and Genghis Khan and, and the fucking brutality of their, of their lives and their reigns are very much scaled to the brutality of the worlds that they lived in. You know, they're products of their environment. I think all those people. Yeah. And I just That's think that, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, my my uh, platform, like you couldn't just back in the day, you know, just sit down and read books for a year and try to figure out the diplomatic way to deal with any of these problems. Uh, you, like you had to, you know, you had to be doing shit constantly, yeah, in order to survive. So you had to work for survival constantly all day, and it's interesting the way that people today kind of whitewash history. And sort of have this sort of revisionist fantasy in which they sort of think that Native Americans sort of wandered around and ate things off the ground and then smoked their peace pipe for fucking hours and kind of laid under a leaf, you know, and napped under a beautiful fucking tree canopy, you know, before yeah. playing their flutes and, you know, dancing around for it. They chased their dinner for three days before beating it to death with a stick. And then they died of dysentery at 23. That was the lives for most humans, for most of humanity. Well, didn't the natives do bad things as well? 
It wasn't Everyone just bad things. It wasn't just the world the, uh, was bad. The world was bad. People were in constant pain all the time. They had, you know, their teeth were rotting out of their fucking heads, so they had to find some way of 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 getting just fucking drunk or fucked up all the time to deal with all the fucking aches and pains that age brought on, you know. And um, everything was fucking terrifying. People died mysteriously every day from hygiene and everything else. So yeah, you'd be fucking lighting higher. You'd be lighting a fire in the heart of some slave that you captured from some fucking tribe next door to make the sun come up. If you thought that there was no other way, you know, this is the terror that most people lived in. And if you lived of human history. in that horrible of an existence, you're you know. Faced with terror and death. So they're just going around probably scalping and pillaging and raping. And to them, it's, there's probably a huge moral relativity because they see that in all the people around them. They see, like, how frail their own existence is. And I think that this basic, like, that basic, uh, empathy that human beings are capable of practicing with one another. Uh, I think that there's a great resistance towards empathizing with someone who's not necessarily in your in your tribe, uh, and that term tribe could be applied to every culture that's ever sort of lived. Uh, if you know, although I think it's it's human nature to feel sympathy for a, a man who's suffering in front of you. If you can create a justification in your head that this person isn't a human being because he comes from the tribe from next door. Or from across the the creek, whenever else, then and enters in to that whole survival standard aspect again too. Because if you're from the tribe from the next valley over, who are in competition for you from resources, they rep- for resources they represent your mortal demise. You know, they yeah. represent they they represent your death to a certain extent. So it doesn't matter that they're human beings that you can empathize with them on some basic fundamental human level. There is that. The resistance to that is still equating these human beings with your death, categorically, you know? But it's also just the fear of the unknown. You, you don't really know what their culture or their motivation is until, you know, it's too late, right? Yeah, and that division between cultures is, is huge. I think that there's, um, there's, on this political compass test that I took not too long ago, there's a question where uh, people are... people identify more with class than they do national nationality or ethnicity. And while that would that's how it ought to be, I think that um, English peasants uh, under feudalism identified much more to their own aristocracy than they did French peasants just across the channel. That the, the, the cultural barriers are huge between people. Especially in a time period when dictionaries didn't exist, you know, when there was no fucking Babblefish or or Google Translate, or that where someone a different culture wasn't just a different culture. It wasn't just a matter of different foods or dressing differently. It was completely alien to the point where you couldn't even communicate with these people, you know, unless you had an interpreter, who are extremely rare in this time period for the majority of human history. Okay, so where do you see uh, us moving forward? Us? I, uh, I mean, I, a species. Like, I think. I mean, I can. I mean, I can outline what I think we should do. 
But, I think. Uh, I think. Uh, try. I'm trying not to be pessimistic, and I try to only sort of. I think our fucking goose is cooked in the West. I don't see things getting better. Do you? Racial tensions are higher in this country than they've been in fucking three, four decades. Everyone is completely at each other's throats. The the entire political climate is so completely divisive. We're going to be in a state of riots and austerity in 20 years and serious changes aren't taken and they're not being taken. So I don't see things improving. I think if, I think the BRIC nations, India, uh, China, even Russia, Brazil, I think you're going to see liberalism take hold in these places in a way that we haven't in this country. Uh, and I think it's going to be, I think, I think that, uh, if you are someone who wants to live in a, a society that's moving forward in 20 years, you're going to want to be living in India. Honestly. Well, they have way too many people, so I would be wary about that. But I think the, uh, the fact is that we're not sitting on like a golden egg of, like, how much, how many man hours of work do you get out of a barrel of oil? That's impossible. Well, that's an, that's an impossible answer to question, or question to answer, rather. But it's, uh, it's, it's like an insane number. Like, if you could quantify it in the form of, like, uh, someone, you know, riding a bicycle to produce electricity, uh, oil by comparison, I think it's like, it's just like an insane amount of free resources, right? Yeah, the punch we get for it is remarkable, and that's why, you know, we've been using it for the most part over the past century. That's why we've been dependent on it. But uh, the, amount of, the, amount of, the, amount of, the amount of life that it's enabled, I mean, you just have to look at the infant mortality rates uh, across the spectrum, across the world, uh, the growing populations that we've seen in every country is yeah. a result for how cheap energy is and how efficient we are at getting an hour of, of, of work for a drop of oil, you know. But it's just this huge, you know, like the population boom as well. It, that's where it came from. I would, yeah, of course. Uh, energy is the, is the primacy of every other cost in an economy. If, if you get, if, if the rate at which you can produce energy is extremely efficient relative to the amount of work that you can actually get out of it, then it has a multiplying effect on every other aspect in the economy. Uh, the negative externalities aside, uh, the, the, the hit the climate's taken to this, um, it's been one of the greatest boons to if to human life is the ability to produce cheap energy. Uh, and that's a, I, there's a, we kind of divorced ourselves from that and the topic of talking about energy uh, in these industries. They're fucking awful, uh, and the, the industries themselves are, are really bogged down by a, a quagmire of, of bullshit, uh, crony fucking corporate nonsense and, and there's a lot, lot to fucking unpack there but if you were to just look at the economies of scale um, divorced from the individual responsibility that, or the individual criminality that some of these people and these companies have committed which they should fucking answer for uh, the, the, the efficacy that cheap energy has had on the world has produced a world where children don't fucking die uh, for want of warmth or shelter or food uh, by and large, 
in ways that we humanity has never seen before. All right, Chris. <laughs> all right, all right. Like, what do you do, like, before recording? Like, speed? No. I was, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm just fucking warming up. So this is you, Ali. <laughs> oh, this is your, like, uh, neutral gear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is me. No, like, what, what do we do once we no longer, like, once people realize that they actually have all the power, the rest of the world, and, you know, the fear of our, you know, reprisal or you know, military goes away. Once people band together, all these nations, the etc. nations, you know, once they, like, bond together and start forming plans, and they're like, we want to have our resources for ourselves, what, what's going to happen, in your opinion? That's already happening. Uh, we see this with the BRIC countries now. Yeah. They're forming, they're forming coalitions against um, Western interests. Um, and what we're going to see is, is a change in the, the way that the monetary structures are formatted. So we're not going to necessarily see a, the petrodollar global, like dollar centric international monetary standard anymore. We're, we're going to see that move away towards something that makes much more sense from the, from the purposes of global equity, which would probably be less dollar centric and more, um, Ready right, the hard assets, and uh, for twenty or thirty years, they mocked the whole idea of. We talked about this, I think, a little bit in the last podcast. The whole idea of uh, a gold and whatever else, but this is largely, um, I think, India stockpiled something to the tune of 80, 80, uh, 80 million tons of gold. I think at this point of bullion. <laughs> They're, they're, they're utilizing these things because they see the writing on the wall that the, the international standards are going to be very different. And the way that we've been exploiting these countries haven't been necessarily by taking their resources at the point of the gun. It's been by monetary chicanery. It's uh, just so. scheming. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a completely rigged system which they're... Uh, uh, they're loot, they're damned if they do, and they're damned if they don't. If they participate, uh, then <clears throat> then they see the prices in their own economy rise as a result of their intermediary currency losing purchasing power. If they don't participate while well, they're locked out, they're completely fucking prohibited from from engaging in international trade without going through backdoor deals and, risking uh, and yeah, and risking the same fate as Gaddafi, you know? <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'm gonna be president. What questions do you have? Uh, I guess I don't. Just do a good job. No so questions? You just automatically trust me? I trust you. Exactly. Yeah. I won't criticize you. I'll have you on my Mark Maron-esque podcast, and you can sing Amazing Grace... You won't be answered. You won't have the answer for any of your crimes against humanity. It'll be great. Like, if, if I'm president, like, why do I have to do all this shit? Like, why, why would I have to go sing Amazing Grace? Like, I'm not saying that he didn't do that voluntarily. But why does he have to give a speech every time there's some massacre? 
<laughs> like, like he's the official state-sanctioned Tony Robbins. He's got to lift everyone's spirits up. Because this is this is what we appoint elected officials for now. Is to I, just make us feel better. I wish exactly. he would have just got up there and say, you know, I don't give a shit. You know, you guys don't give a shit, or else he would have solved the, the last massacre. <laughs> so I'm not going to waste any more time doing this when I could be doing, you know, behind the scenes diplomatic things. That would actually have on. a fucking consequence. Or, yeah. What would, know, what would happen if Obama said something like that? It's uh, because we don't elect politicians to solve problems. We we elect them to represent uh, things that we think are nice, you know, about people, about about society. We see this as a method for pushing. Uh, Social change instead of societal change, you know. When, said, when it was uh, two thousand eight, uh, I liked Obama as an idea of just being like the national cheerleader. <laughs> like, well, is that well? That's basically kind of what a president is. Now, yeah, it is. I would. I mean, let's be frank. I mean, the only reason that we have a president in this country, the only reason that that idea exists is it was a compromise with monarchists you know that you had to have someone you know posit as a sort of uh position of, of absolute authority and it's ridiculous yeah. it should be you know that always bothered me is that if you look at presidential elections you have you know the person who wins and the person who's number two who almost won right yeah and the person who's number two like, why? He just fades into obscurity, goes back to doing, like, baby shit work in comparison. If he was so great that he was almost president, why isn't he, you know, forced into, like, a vice president position or a higher-up position in the chain? That would make more sense, right? Well, why, why couldn't you have, like, five people who were, like, you know, the figureheads? That way, you didn't have one person who was, like, at their disposal could press their, you know, you know the Staples Easy button that destroys humanity. <laughs> like, they could just press that. Like, he could sleepwalk, probably, into his war room and just press the button, right? Yeah. And everything just... The humanity is over. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I think that all of these things are... I don't think that our checks and balances, social dem democratic system functions. I think it was a brave it was a brave experiment, and I'm not saying that democracy is a failure in general, but I would rather see I would rather have a benevolent monarch in this system that we have right now. Uh, it's there's not, I have no faith in this system. It's It's taken two decades to get a policy pushed through the door that the majority of the population agrees with, that being the most recent thing, uh, the, the um, Supreme Court decision ruling on uh, homosexual marriage, you know, whereas the majority of the voting constituency agrees with that, the system is so broken that it's taken decades just to reintroduce a semblance of legal equality back into everything. No, yeah. like, we put a man on the moon in 69, and now we have, you know, people being treated equally. 
<laughs> is the thing. But, uh, what, I don't know, what I would do if I, if I had any influence, I think that what we need is basically a second government that is just like something that we can aim towards the future, and then we, the all we have to do as far as government is bridge a gap between what we have now and what we will have. I think we need, um... A new operating I, system? Yeah, a new... I think we need a fucking revolution in this country, but, um... It's not gonna happen. But that's what I mean, won't. like... If you had the internet, and, like, shouldn't voting be on the internet by now? Yeah, it should, but, um, should it, though, at the same time, because you would think that that would be a really easy way to, to rig... To, I mean, that's a very easily manipulated thing. Uh, anything can be accessed. Any anything that's on the internet can be. Uh, you can kind of access it through a back door. Well, that's know? part of my uh, new program. Uh, <laughs> like, I have a solution for this, and you can tell me what you think. I don't think that voting should be anonymous because you are doing things that ultimately affect people's lives. And if you do it by name, I think it would be hard to trick. Because it would all be a matter of public record how people vote. Maybe. And we don't live in a society anymore where if you vote um, anti-federalist, there's going to be a fucking a mob that comes to your house if they know that you voted anti-federalist and tar and feather you and run you out of town. It doesn't really happen anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think... I think that there was a time where the uh, uh, voting anonymously, that system existed because we once lived in a time where you would be killed for your political opinions. Now you just sort of get really mean tweets about it. So maybe we should surrender that for the sake of having a more efficient system. I think that I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. Yeah, I think but, we're civilized enough to the point where that can be a thing. <laughs> we might be. We might be, but Maybe there should be a 20-year cap on that, because if it, if things continue to retrograde to the point where they are now, we can lose all of this newfound civility that we've gained in the past hundred years. So, it's, it's very possible for us to slip back in towards a, a, a fucking dark age society, you know? We're not, we're not, we're not past that. We're not to the point of no return. You know, so. See, I don't even know that we uh, were, were necessarily better off. Because, uh, like, when I think of, uh, let's say, medieval torture, uh, that was Dark Age stuff, correct? Yeah. And that's all really awful, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, we advanced, and now we can kill an entire city at once. Yeah. Isn't that kind of, you know, worse? Yeah, I think that um, every all of the newfound um, reaching towards uh, ethics, I think that's... I think it's consequential, and a lot of it comes not as a result that necessarily of philosophy, even though philosophy has made a large contribution. I think a lot of it is just a result of the barriers between human beings coming down. I mean, the fact that you can have a conversation with someone from uh, Estonia 
about the Melvins through Google Translate or something like that. That 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 kind of pulls the curtain back between people in a way that I don't think that's ever really existed uh, <laughs> before. Um, so, I mean, the ways that we can we we've never been so good at killing one another, you know, um, than in this day and age right now. But I think that we are better off in those t- that time period because we're not as ignorant as we used to be as a species. Uh, ignorant of one another, ignorant of uh, other lo- of other cultures, of other lives, um, and their ability to practice that sort of very basic sense of empathy, of being able to look through the eyes of another person. Um, I don't think that it's ever existed to this extent in any other time in human history. So it's a mixed bag, like anything else. I can't yeah. say that we're definitively better off or worse off. In some in some yeah. ways, we are emphatically better off. In some ways, uh, we are a bigger danger to each other than we've ever been. So, yeah, and there's an issue when people uh, conflate basically our technological advancements with any sort of moral advancement. Yeah, that's I, I, the- I think that's a mistake people make. Because, you know, you you look at, like, I mean, people always say this, but, you know, they don't live back in the day when shit was hard. So, you know, they're just imagining all this difficulty, right? I do think that the Industrial Revolution was the best thing that's ever happened to humanity. Uh, And just, um, my standards, objectively, are are how many people are dying now um, compared, you know, to then. I do think that... Are people living better lives is, I mean, it's kind of tricky. Like, back then you just had to, you know, kill some fellow man to live. <laughs> and yeah. and now we got to worry about, like, LinkedIn profiles, <laughs> which is really worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, because one life is really simple, even though it's brutal. And then one life is really long and it's tedious. <laughs> I'd rather have the excitement of swashbuckling, maybe, you know? Give me yeah. a good sword fight. But now we're going to be able to do that, you know, with virtual reality. That's cool. I'm all right with that. What do you think of these hollow decks? Do you hollow think that's decks? the next advancement? Is that the next logical step of, like, the theme park? Like, a virtual reality theme park? Uh, what exactly is a hollow deck? It's like a, it's like a big, scary warehouse, but it's filled... Uh, and you go in, and they make you wear an Oculus Rift of some variant, and it's augmented reality, essentially. You, uh, you walk around, and you, uh, you know, you sort of fight demons or whatever, and you, uh, you do that stuff. Yeah, that sounds very cool. Yeah, I'm cool with that, too. Sure. Is it gonna get to the point where it's more attractive than real life, do you think? Oh, definitely. Because... (laughs) I mean, that's the whole thing, man. If you want, if you want to go for a hike, eventually, you know, you're gonna get a snake bite or something, right? And then, if you get bored, you can't just, you know, tap a button and tap out. You're gonna be like that Segway guy. You're gonna go off a cliff on the wheels of your own invention. Yeah, like <laughs> you really have no choice if you are, you know, in the wild, literally. <laughs> 
But if you yeah. can change from the comfort of your own stable environment, that might be better. I think I can. I think that we're going to see some serious uh, ideological pushback against people who are. You think that there's going to be a big like Oculus Rift culture? People are going to start calling themselves like rifters. Like people t- like talk about vape life and vape culture in the same sort of category. Or uh, motorcycle people who call car people cagers. <laughs> like it's going to be condescending. Like you don't live your life in a virtual reality. <laughs> well, that, well, that's the whole thing that's gotten really weird about society, is that you you you'll get bullied for not being a nerd now, <laughs> right? I love that Bill Burr joke that it's because we ended bullying. Now the now the nerd is the apex predator. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. He brings up the point. Well, it's like I never knew nerds controlled the world. It blew my mind when I found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, again uh, that all that that's tribalism. You know, we might uh, even though all the advancements that we made as a species, ideologically, philosophically, technologically, and every category, people still revert to tribes when fucking push comes to shove. You know, whether your tribe is um, Celtic or Sioux or uh, pro-vape, or motorcycle, or whatever else, people are really have pride in the most irrational fucking shit, and I think that all of it comes down to identity at the end of the day. At the day. I mean, if you, if you identify yourself first and foremost by the context of which group that you belong to, you're fucking dead in the water. That's the... That's... 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 That enables people to treat other people in the most fucking terrible type of way. Um, and in, in any category, you know. The moment that you are no longer a person, you know, you are a vapist, or you are um, um, a motorcycler, or you are a nerd, or whatever else, um, then you lose your ability to look at other people... Um, and to see their similarities towards you, you can only sort of emphasize the dissimilarities or how they're different. But, yeah, and but the other side of that coin, uh, and I agree with you, but I understand that what what they get out of that in return is like you know they get a sense of security and community, but then they have to basically have their minds in sync with the people around them, and they can't really divert from it. Yeah. I have no problem with someone looking for other like-minded people to share their, their hobbies or enthusiasms with, even if that comes down to a point of completely irrational nationalistic pride. Like, if you're if you're no if you're a Polish person and you live in New York and you want to live in a Polish community because you feel safe and comfortable around these people, that's fine. But at that what point are you isolating yourself from everyone else around you? You know what I well, mean? Who does not share your sort of, uh, your completely one-dimensional fucking characteristic. Yeah, you, you know? can't really draw outside the lines when you're part of one of those groups. There's a spectrum, you know, like anything else. There's a, there's, um, there's a, a threshold where you cross where the things that you're doing are no longer positive for yourself. And it's like, it's a, it's a noose that you tie on two ends, you know, and you're dragging, you're, you're dragging other people by this from your own neck, 
you know, it's not to your benefit, it's not to their benefit. You're denying yourself your own personal identity, you're denying them any sort of uh, personhood besides the values that you fucking uh, you place on them, you know? And it's not. then they label you a defector and you, you know, you're no longer allowed to visit your family because you're, you're outside of the realm of Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, uh, we, we have to be willing to be ostracized at the end of the day if you want to, if you want to be yourself. Yeah. But those people, you know, what they do have is a sense of purpose. That's hard to <laughs> they come do. by. You never take that away from them. They know exactly why they're here. Good for them. <laughs> All right. I think that's good. <laughs>